This is the right direction where we talk to professional storytellers and writers and we discuss their craft and how they sell it. I'm your host, AG McDonald, and let's get started with the show. All right, we are here today with Ginger Smith, who is the debut author of The Rush's Edge. Um, so thank you for coming on to the podcast, Ginger. It's great to have you here. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your new debut book? Okay. Um, well, my name is Ginger Smith. Um, I, I am an English teacher during the day and an author any other time. Um, <laughs> although I've worked a lot of different jobs, I worked in a bookstore. Um, I used to be a freelance writer. Um, so I've done a lot of different things. Um, my book is The Rush's Edge, like you said, and it's the story of a genetically engineered super soldier who's learning to cope with civilian life um, with the help of his salvage crew slash found family um, until they discover this alien artifact that downloads something into their ship and it just causes all kinds of chaos. And um, I, I think it's a great story that people will enjoy. That's awesome. And I love that um, you've got this huge um, list of jobs that you've had, but they always seem to gravitate towards writing and towards books. So like, I feel like that seems like that was just your calling. (laughs) I think so. I mean, I went, I went to college and got an English degree. Um, My bachelor's was English degree and I didn't really know what I was going to do with that. So I did a lot of different things for a while and then um, someone suggested I try to get into teaching and I, I found out I really, I really enjoy it. So um, I became a high school teacher and I teach high school English, of course. <laughs> and um, I, I, I've been doing that for 20 years now. So um, it's, it's been a great, it's been a great, I, I love all my different jobs I've had throughout the years, but this, this last one has probably been my calling for sure. Yeah, Besides, no, you know. and that's a good thing too because, like, it it's something that you probably take for granted because a lot of people don't get to work the jobs that they love. So, like, it's really great that you were able to get so many jobs that were able to to fit with what you wanted to do. Which I guess brings me to my first question that I'll ask, which is, how do you find managing the two jobs simultaneously that you love, being like the teacher and the author? How, how did you juggle those two? Ooh, um, yeah, it's kind of tough. Um, I'm a teacher at a very small school. We have, we're a pre-K through 12th grade in one school building. We're, we're still a public school, but we have a very small um, school staff. I mean, I'm school, I'm sorry, school population. Um, Pre-K through 12th grade, we have 170 students. So yeah. um, in high school, like our graduating class last year was eight or nine, I think, eight or nine kids. So it's very small. So it's not as time consuming as, as other teachers jobs might be where they have 120 students a day. Um, but I, I just, I don't know. I just kind of decided that I would write every night and I made it kind of a thing. And well, it kind of goes back to a friend of mine. He's an artist. And a couple of years back, he said, he said, you know, I'm going to do an artwork a day for 365 days. And it was this great experiment that he was trying to do. And I thought, well, if he can do that, 
I can write every day, you know, it may not always be great, you know, because some days are better than others for writing, depending on what's going on. But I thought, well, I can do that every day. And once I got into the habit of it, and now I feel strange if I don't do that every day, you know, at the end of the day. So I guess by making it a habit every night, I, I make sure that, that I get the writing in as well as, you know, the day job. Yep. And I think that's, that's a really important piece of advice is getting in, getting into a habit of it. Because as you say, like you're in a position now where you don't feel right if you don't do it. So you're always going to be getting stuff out. Right. Right. I mean, I I just, I don't know. I, if, if I'm at home and you know, I'm not working on something for school, I have my laptop in my lap and I'm working on the next big thing. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's getting into the habit of it. You have to do it every day. Yeah, no, and it, it's giving you that drive to to be constantly working on, you know, the next thing, which is probably good to, um, to not put all your eggs in one basket to be like, okay, well, you know, I'm done with this now. Now I'm working on the next thing and now I'm working on the next thing. Whereas if you worked on just one project and then you put it out, you'd kind of be sitting there thinking, oh, okay, well, now what do I do? Do I just sit and wait for it? But obviously that mentality would keep you going no matter what. <laughs> right. Right. That's for sure. And you know, um, it, yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with that. Like you have to constantly be working. So, um, and actually I did a lot of, I've, I've written a lot of blog posts since the book came out. So I've been really busy with that and I'm just now getting back into my new projects. So. Yeah. Awesome. So, nice. so do you deal with, one project at a time or are you one of the people who can kind of manage multiple story um, ideas at once I can I guess like I've done that before um like during the writing of the rush to's edge I actually wrote two short stories also set in that universe to kind of explore characters backstories and um and so I have done two things at once like that, but generally um, I try to stay with one project until it's finished, but I get all kinds of ideas in the middle. So if they're related to the current book, like the short story is related to characters in the book, then I can work on two things at once. Yeah. Okay. Cause, yeah. cause that's something that um, kind of, I've, I've never done it, but it's something that sounds <laughs> exhausting to me. Like just, you know, having to keep things and, you know, all, all the things in order, but then at the same time, you've got to try to not make the stories bleed into one another while you're thinking about it. Like that sounds really difficult, but um, yeah. Right. You... I... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, no, that's okay. Um, oh, no, I was just going to say that, um, yeah, if, if you say that, that, you know, it's possible to do it, maybe that's something I should look into. <laughs> Well, I, you know, I don't know if I could do it if it was two completely different projects, you know, because it was, you know, like you get into writing a character and you think I need to get a little deeper just so I know who the character is. So, you know, I wrote those short stories about characters' backstories to help me characterize them in the larger work. So yep. I don't know if I could write two unrelated things at the same time. I because there's so much to keep straight with one, you like one novel, you have so much you have to keep in mind while you're working that I, I don't know if I could really write two completely unrelated things. Yeah. Well, that's it. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it is too hard. <laughs> um, so one question that I like to ask every single person that I talk to is 
on the podcast, not every single person that I've ever spoken to, um, (laughs) on the podcast, I like to ask, um, what was the process from concept to completion? So, you know, when did you originally come up with the idea and how did that process work and, and how long was it? Because that's one thing I find really interesting is just the, the differing stories from people on, on how long it takes. Like all the advice places say, oh, you know, you've got to spend this many years and you've got to do this, but some people it's super quick. Some people it takes forever. And yeah, I just find it really interesting that everyone's got a different story. I think you're right. It, it's different for everybody, but um, for this story, I guess you know I, I I did a lot of just writing little snippets and playing around. I may have written some fan fiction in the back, you know, in the in the old years maybe. Um, but my husband was really the start of the whole project because he said you need to write something original, and he kept bugging me about it. And I said, fine, I'll write something for you. So I actually wrote the rush's edge to to number one entertain him keep him entertained and number two I thought well maybe if it turns out to be something you know we can try to submit and and see what happens but um but I guess so I started I started kind of thinking of things I guess around November of oh my god I don't even know how many the 2019 no 20 2018 maybe 2017. Anyway, years start blending together, but I started in November and I started writing, I'm thinking of the ideas and what kind of story I wanted to write. And um, it started out as the story of, of Ty, which he's, he's kind of, he's the secondary character in the book, but he's kind of this quiet, introverted, you know, thoughtful um, veteran. And I said, well, that, that sounds like a, there'd be a good story in there somewhere. And then Hal stood up and made himself the, the main character of the book rather quickly. I think I was on chapter two or three when I was like, oh no, that I know where the real story is. And so I, I backed up a little bit um, and, and focused on him and and the story grew, I guess, over about three months. It took me about three months to write it. So from like December to, to March, three or four months. And it, it, so it came out rather quickly. I was very surprised um, at, at how fast I just came up with everything. Um, yeah, no, that, do, that does sound impressively fast. <laughs> I guess it's writing every day. I don't know. I just got into it and then... I would give my husband a few chapters to read and he would make comments and suggestions and I would go back and make changes as I was writing. And so it was kind of a, you know, three steps forward, one step back sort of thing. Um, and, and it turned out to work very well. Um, I, I'm just, oh, that's such a big question. Um, <laughs> and I know it took me a couple months to, to edit. I took about two two months to do a few passes on the manuscript um, before I thought it was ready. And, and it wasn't quite, it wasn't exactly where it should have been, but we, I think everybody who is a writer maybe queries a little too early and then you should go back and, you know, you realize, Hey, I got to do a little more work on this. So it was about two or three months of editing, I think. Yeah. No, that's, that sounds like a fairly um, nice, concise little period of time to get a book written. It sounds, yeah. sounds good. But I think you've, you've raised something really interesting, which is that when we see depictions of, of writing and, and depictions of storytelling, it's, 
it's often seen as this isolated, solitary experience. And, you know, you do it completely in your own head and it comes out perfect and it's it's just not true. And I think you you raised an interesting point that I think the reason it was able to maybe come out so quickly was because you were sharing parts with your husband and, and that was, you know, getting you enthusiastic about continuing on and, and setting those sort of deadlines that, oh, okay, well, I want to get into the next part. Um, and it sort of keeps you, keeps your momentum going. Yes, it really did. It really did. And he's, he's such a great, um, he's such a great reader for me because the things that I don't know, he knows like, like, like for instance, when I was coming up with the world and, and setting up the military and, you know, he helped with a lot of that because he has a degree in, um, in military history. He actually has two degrees in military history. So, um, it was great to have a consultant right in the house, you know, so I had a question and he would help me like try to figure out how I wanted to set things up. So he was a great partner, um, a great critique partner, probably the best. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to have a, a live-in fact checker. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> he helped a lot with that. Well, yeah, I, I think that that's that you made a great point about that. And I guess I personally have that at the moment because I'm going through uh, with an editor at the moment with the, my manuscript that I've written. And I've got to say that I'm getting through it way faster because the way that we've structured that out is similar to the way that you would work with your husband. That Like you do a couple of chapters at a time and then you go and apply those edits to the future chapters so that they don't have to keep telling you the same thing over and over again. Um, so we're doing right. it in small parts like that. And, um, and if I wasn't working on it like at that level, uh, it, it would have taken so much longer to get to the point where we are. Right. Right. And I think, I think working with an editor is, is, is really great. I know, um, working with editors at Angry Robot, I learned so much, um, about, you know, about the, uh, about the editing process, you know, and you think, oh, you've got an English degree, you should know. And I mean, I, you do to a point, but that kind of editing, the structural editing and the copy edits and the line edits are, are really it's it's a different level and and I really I really enjoyed that I thought it was it pushed me to be a better writer for certain yeah and and I think the other thing that's important to mention too and I mean obviously not that it's not valuable but having English degrees and things like that often that's looked at through like an academic lens and writing academically and writing narratively are two completely different things. So learning to edit those would be a completely different experience as well. Yes, for sure. For sure. It was, it was different. Um, I've always had an interest in writing fiction since I was a kid, but you know, it, it, you definitely have to switch gears. I don't think I could have written this book right out of school. I, I wouldn't, I don't know if I would have been in the right mental place for that, you know, um, after all that academic writing, it's definitely a different animal for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so once you had finished the manuscript, how long was the process from the manuscript was done through to it became a book published by Angry Robot? Oh, um, well, it, it, I just keep throwing dates at you at the moment, don't I? No, no, no. I'm terrible with dates. That's why my husband's the history major and he keeps up with all the dates for me. Um, You know, it took about, 
I guess I started querying in March and I did like March, April and May querying agents. And I did a pit, I did a, what do they call it? A pit mad or whatever. I did one of those, you know, Twitter, Twitter pitches, you know, oh, pitch yeah, yeah, contest yeah. things. I didn't get anything from that. And so I spent probably two or three months, you know, scoping out agents, finding out like what, what a query letter entails and how they had to be different for each agent. And, you know, and every time I would get a, get a, get a turn down or, or I wouldn't hear back, um, I would tweak the opening, you know, and I, I would rewrite the first couple of pages because I knew that those were critical and getting someone into the rest of the manuscript. So um, I, I continually, you know, tried different things. Um, and then I sent it, I think it was in May, Angry Robot opens up their open submission period. And so I said, hey, you know, I haven't got any agent interest yet. And this is, you know, this is going on now. So I can submit it now and just see what happens. So I submitted to them and um, an e-publisher, like they were exclusively an e-publisher, a different group, a different company, and sat back and kind of waited and queried a few more agents. And and then um, th they both expressed interest, the e-publisher and Angry Robot expressed interest probably 24 hours apart from each other, which was That would have been a crazy. good feeling. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. I mean, well, Angry Robot had requested the full a little bit like maybe a month before that. And I said, wow, you know, they want the full, that's cool. And then, um, and then, you know, so they, they kind of made an offer at the same time as the other one. And I was, you know, I said, man, Angry Robot's where I want to go. You know, I, I kept telling my husband all through that summer, I said, wow, if I could just sell a book to Angry Robot, that would be amazing because they're so outside the box and, and just on the cutting edge of what's new you know, in science fiction and right now. And I just, I really felt really strongly that if I could get in there, that would be amazing. But then I, I thought, oh, that'll never happen. <laughs> but it did. And um, so well, there's I a lesson in there too, isn't there? There's, there's the lesson that, you know, don't discount yourself and say, it's not going to happen to me because if you try, it might. I, I seriously, um, I know that I got picked and um, another author that I know, Chris Panettiere, um, he was chosen during the same open submission period. And I think we were the, I think we were the only two chosen from that open submission period. I could be wrong about that though. I, I'm not hundred percent sure, but there were over 600 submissions, they said. So that, that, I mean, I never thought that it would be me, but it was definitely, you know, it, so it was definitely, I felt like I hit the lottery. Yeah. I can't I mean, remember looking well, at it. Well, it's, it's probably less so hitting the lottery and probably more <laughs> so the fact that you wrote a good book. Like, <laughs> well, that yeah, probably had yeah. something to do with it. But it does feel amazing. I mean, you're like, wow, somebody in another country looked at my book and thought, this is it. You know, this is a good one. Well, and I think so it's it especially just, amazing because you know, you've, you've said that that was the publisher that you wanted. And I totally get why, like I, I can, I, I think the thing that I love about Angry Robot is they don't, they don't try to publish the same thing twice. They, everything's about telling a great story. And I can totally see why that you, you would want that to be your first choice. But for, I think that must be the other thing too, that it, because it was your first choice and you were able to get the one that you wanted more than any other one, that must've been an incredible feeling. 
Oh, it was. I, I kept looking over at my husband saying, is this really my life? Like, is this really going <laughs> on right now? You know, and um, I was so happy. Um, but then there was some more waiting. So I would tell like any new writer that, that, that getting published is like a series of waiting periods and then followed by intense activity and then more waiting periods and then intense activity and more waiting periods. So I learned to be very patient. Um, but um, it took me a little while. They, they allowed me some time to find an agent before I had to sign the contract. And um, so I went, you know, looking for an agent with, with an offer in hand, which helped out a lot, I think. And um, I, I got Amanda Rudder and she, she was with Red Sofa at that time, but now she's with the Zantian Literary Agency. Um, but she was awesome and, and just helped me through the whole process. And Angry Robot was great about giving me that time to find that agent, which I thought was really awesome of them. But then, I mean, there was more waiting involved. You had to wait for the edits to come through. And that took a little bit. Um, I guess about the time the pandemic hit, maybe a little bit before we started working on edits. And, um, and so... Um, that took a while there were there you know there's 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 so many stages to editing and and different things and i had to do some rewriting of the ending and you know some made some changes which made it so much better and i i gotta say i gotta give a shout out to Gemma crepfield was my main editor at anger robot although a few other people um edited as well but she really she really was just instrumental in the book's success. I mean, I, 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 you can't underestimate how much how much impact a, a good editor has on a book. And she was the best. She well, was I know. I mean, it's not great. the first time she's been praised on the on this podcast. Um, <laughs> Chris Panettiere said that one of the things that happened with his book was that uh, she suggested putting the terminology at the start of of each chapter um to give it uh that sort of unique approach but also at the same time filling us in on information that we we needed to know or at least gave um authenticity to the book and it was like it's such a simple uh change but it made such a huge difference to the story yeah, I just think she has a, such an eye for that and, and a talent for, for finding what the story needs and, you know, and bringing it out of you, you know, because, I, you know, me, I'm, me, I'm so new to this whole process, you know, so she was very wonderful about walking me through it and coming up with some great ideas that I was able to build on. And, and hopefully, I mean, I think she made The Rush's Edge uh, such a better book than, I mean, it was good. Don't get me wrong, I love it, but you know, she made it. She made it shine. She really polished it. And yeah, it which shine. I think comes back to what we said before that it's it, you need to break down this idea that writing is a solitary experience. It it really needs to. It, it's solitary to a point. Like when you begin, right. obviously you, you do it yourself, and it's it's you're on your own and stuff like that. But you really need to reach out and and get other people's opinions, like to really strengthen it. Yes, yes. And I, I, I just, um, yeah, I think that's, that's, that's the, the most important thing about it. You really need, need someone else's opinion to help you see it because once you've read it so many times, like you're just so close to it, you can hardly see 
places that that might need a little extra work. So um, it was really helpful in making me be able to step back a little bit and and look at what the book needed. And I, I totally agreed with everything she brought up. And so it was a true partnership, really. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a great thing that um, happens when you're working with an editor. Like I found that at the moment that, you know, the editor will say, um, this character who, who has been in my head the entire time and now they're reading it as a real person. Um, they, they say this character, I'm not sure that's what they would do. And then you take a step back and you say, yeah, they, they wouldn't say that thing or they would phrase it differently or, or, or something like that. Like it's small details, but as you say, you become so close to it that you don't actually yeah. see the mistakes in the characters, even though, you know, every facet of them and you know how they behave and how they react to things. You just right. gloss over it because you've read it so many times. That's so true. I mean, you just, it, it's very hard to step back, but I, I had a couple of months where I could let the manuscript just sit before the edit happened. So that helped as well. But um, yeah, it, it was, it's a whole nother level than just, you know, looking over it for um, grammatical errors and continuity type errors and, you know, um, it's, 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 it's way more intense, but I'm so glad I went through the process and I learned so much and I hope to be able to put it to use in my next book. For yeah. Well, and that's, that's the positive thing of working with someone else too, is like, you don't just take on that advice and then continue to make the same mistakes that they'll tell <laughs> you again. Um, like, you know, if they, if Gemma goes on to edit the next book that you make, then, you know, sh you will have improved upon the stuff that she'd said the first time. So she is able to go and find other stuff that you can improve on. So like, it's, it's, you're constantly evolving through these yes. like social interactions. Yes, for sure. And I'm so thankful to that, for that process and, and that learning um, opportunity. And it was great. Yeah. Um, well, what we'll do now is I think we'll move on to talking about something where you and I are polar opposites but it's it's a good thing um <laughs> you said that you are a pantser that you don't plot out your stories um and that to me like I can't do that I have to have pages and pages and pages of notes worked out so that I know what's going on um so I'm really interested to talk to someone who works in that way um so how do you begin with a concept then because that would be very different I would imagine I, you know, I, I have, I guess I kind of start with um, maybe the characters and maybe a scene. I think I started The Rush's Edge with with the scene of, of Vivi being kidnapped and, uh, the, you know, they thwart the kidnapping attempt. And uh, I, honestly, it just, it just grows out from there. It's kind of an organic process. Now, it does mean you take, you know, two steps forward and one step back sometimes. Um, which is which is kind of frustrating, but I find if I if I write it down ahead of time, I don't do what I write down. <laughs> so um, it seems kind of um, I don't know, and that would that goes so contrary to what I teach my kids. You know, I'm like you have to pre-write, you know, as I'm teaching writing. But um, I think I, I kind of have a direction. I know I wanted the story to go in. Like I really wanted to highlight um, the fact that. The, the super soldiers in my world, you know, really struggle to deal with civilian life when they get released from service. And I wanted to kind of highlight 
and, and compare that to some of the difficulties that veterans go through, um, you know, any veterans in, in our, our world, you know, and so I kind of knew that, and, and I knew that I wanted it to be like the classic space opera. I knew that I wanted, you know, an evil, you know, an evil empire, you know, to, for them to fight, but it's not an empire, but, you know, and, and I, but I definitely, you know, wanted to do my own thing, but I wanted, you know, a small group of people standing up against, you know, insurmountable odds. And, and, and so I kind of knew where I, I kind of knew the, the end point, but I guess, you know, I, the things that happen between the first scene and the end point kind of just grow out organically. And, and, and sometimes I have to go back and rewrite and sometimes I have to change, but sometimes I, I noticed that things come up that are linked that I didn't even plan. They were linked. They just, they just are, um, it, you know, it just happens. And so I think, a lot, you know, your subconscious does some of that, you know, if, if, if you believe in it that way. Um, I think subconsciously you do, you know, connect things and, 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 and I don't know, I don't know. It's weird. I, I, and, you know, I never with fiction, I don't think I ever really plan out like every beat of, of, of every scene and art and, you know, I just kind of know where I'm at and where I'm going to go with it. And the getting there is kind of half the battle maybe. And maybe that goes back to um, being a role player because, you know, I, I tabletop gamed with uh, role play, you know, tabletop RPGs with friends for a long time. And, you know, when you do that, it's almost like each gaming session is, is, is like an, an arc in the story or an event or a beat, you know, and then they all connect together. So yeah. I guess maybe that became kind of my, my MO when it comes to that. Well, I guess the thing is, particularly if you were playing the role of like the dungeon master in those games, mm-hmm. when you are writing out those stories, like, yes, I know most dungeon masters do preparation and stuff like that, but there is an element of having to work on your feet. Yes. Yes. I think, and you know, I've, I've, I've played in lots of games and I've run a few over the years and um, with some very skilled role players that would always do the opposite of what you planned. (laughs) So, you know, I I guess I got used to that, like, like just coming up on the fly with stuff and, and how, you know, my main character, he's definitely someone who does the opposite of what you might plan. And so, you know, you hate to say the character took over, but, you know, I don't know, they they become so real, I guess, when you spend so much time with them. Um, But I thought, you know, I think think that's probably got a lot to do with my writing style is, you know, making up those stories for, for your role playing group. Is, is very similar to making up stories for, you know, a novel, I guess. Yeah, no, and that that totally makes sense. Um, and I think you touched on something that's that's kind of funny to me because when you say um, about how the characters kind of take on a life of their own and they do things and they surprise you and, and things like that, before I started writing, I'd hear people say that and I'd think, oh, whatever, like, let's just take it down a notch. Okay, yeah, righto. Um, but then when you actually write a story, it does happen where an idea will come about and you'll be like, no, it makes it totally makes so much more sense for this character to believe this thing and go down this path 
than it is for them to believe the other. So, so they do, they, they surprise you and they, they do things that initially you'd be sitting there and saying, okay, well, they're going to go along this path. And you're like, no, it doesn't make sense anymore. It doesn't make sense for them to do that. And I think it's interesting because as much as we were talking about how, you know, you and I are polar opposites in that sense, we actually share some similarities because when I do my 4 million page document, that's half the size of the book. um, (laughs) When, when I go through that, I do the same thing that you mentioned that, you know, you'll go through and if you read the planning document, it wouldn't make any sense because there'd be things at the start that don't match up with things at the end. It's all about just consolidating it in, in your mind. So I totally do that too, where, it'll be a plan and, and you'll have this whole trajectory and then it doesn't work. And you're like, oh, okay, so you change it. But if you go back and read the start of the notes, it's just like, no, no, that actually doesn't work. But in my mind, I've, I've shaped it and it, and it works. Right. It, yeah, it, it, it definitely does that. It, I, I don't know. I just have to be flexible and, and see where the story takes me. But, you know, you do have to, you do have to whip it into shape sometimes and you say, oh, that didn't really turn out the way I want, or that doesn't, really go along with the direction I had planned, you know, um, and, and I do a lot of planning, you know, before COVID, I, I had a, I have a 30 minute drive to work and then a 30 minute drive home every day. And so that's when I did most of the plotting and, and planning of, of what the next part of the Rush's Edge is going to be, what, what I'm going to do, you know, next to get us further to the, the ultimate, you know, thing that the ultimate aim of the story, which, you know, it, I don't know. I, it's like, I have the destination in mind, but, but it's the trip that you don't know where they're going to go during the trip, you know, to get there. Yeah. And, um, and I think you've hit the nail on the head about something really, really kind of pivotal in creating a story that it shouldn't be, okay. I worry about this story for like an hour a day at the end of the day, it's, it should be something, well, not necessarily that it should be something, but it's, there should be some component in the back of your mind where you're still constantly thinking about the story. I mean, at least to me, that's the marker of I've got a good story here is when you can't let go of the characters and what's what's meant to be happening so you know in any free moment you have whether it's you're driving or you know you're on a break or something you you start to think about well what if I did this and if I could do this part like when you start mapping things out like that you know in any free moment you have to think to yourself um I I think that's a sign that you've got a really compelling story I, I totally agree. Um, I every every moment I have that 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 I'm not engaged in something you know that requires my full attention, I will have that um, that story in the back of my mind. And sometimes I'll think about it, but not realize that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> and then I'll come up with something completely new and be like, Oh my god, like that was working in the back of my mind this whole time. And you know. Um, I'm really bad about that when I go to sleep at night and I'll start thinking about the story and I'll get a great idea and I'll have to get up and go find my phone and type in my note that I'm going to keep, you know, for the next, for the next writing session, because I'm very paranoid that I'll forget what I came up with this great idea I had, but, um, yeah, my phone's full of like disconnected notes though. Like this, like this one thing I thought of here, this one thing I thought of here, but it's not it's certainly not an outline for the story or anything. It's just what comes into my mind. 
you know, but um, yeah, I'm always thinking about the story always. Yeah. And I think that's great. So one thing circling back to something that we were talking about before, and I forgot to ask you the question. Um, so when you had submitted to angry robot and there was that gap, as you say, it's always like, you know, frantic moments and then big gaps um, <laughs> in that gap after you had um, been accepted from angry robot and the editing in between that space uh, had you started on something new or was that a chance for you to reset? Did you still stick to that? I need to write every day rule. Yes, I did. I did. And I did something that people should not do. So if you're a newbie writer listening to this, don't do this. Um, I went ahead and wrote the sequel. Don't do it. I'm telling you, don't do it because we made um, some big changes in toward the end of the um, Rush's edge that changed a lot about my sequel. But, um, <coughs> excuse me, um, but I had the, um, I had the, I had the sequel finished by the time we started the edits. So the first draft at least, and I'm in rewrites right now. So um, I had to make a lot of changes based on some of the changes we made in the Rush's Edge. Yeah. Oh, well, see, cause that's not <clears throat> something I thought, like I figured that, yeah, that's what you could do is just move on to the sequel, but not thinking that, okay, but if you should make massive pivotal shifts in, in key moments in the story, it's going to affect everything. Um, yes. So that it, is terrific advice. It, it really, <clears throat> excuse me. It really is. Um, and I just had, I guess, you know, I wanted to make, they're both stand alone. I mean, they can stand alone, but there's more to, to how story left. And so I just felt like I had to go ahead and tell that story, but it, it's, it, it would have been great advice if somebody had said, Hey, don't do that yet. Work on something completely different. Um, so I would definitely recommend that. Um, but, <clears throat> but I do have a lot to work with. So, um, for the, for a, a follow-up. So hopefully, um, hopefully we'll get those rewrites done and maybe, you know, depending on how the Rush's Edge does, we'll, we'll have another book. Um, awesome. Well, I look forward to it. I enjoyed the first one and I will <laughs> enjoy oh. the second one I'm sure well thank you um yeah but it, it, I have to be working on something all the time so I, I I probably took about a couple of weeks I guess off to just you know play around with some short stories I was I, I have you know I have working on and then you know I got into the sequel and and banged it out pretty quick too um but you know, um, I don't know. I, I guess, I guess I always have to be working on something. I really do. Yeah. I, I'm very similar to that, that like, I can't sit idle. And if I do, I spend the whole time thinking about what I could be doing. <laughs> so, right. so I, I work very much like that too. Yeah. And it's such a, it's such a, um, what do they call it? Like, like, it, it takes my mind off of anything that I have to, you know, where I'm not thinking about work all the time. It's a great escape, I guess, yeah. is what I was trying to say. Um, so in, in, in teaching, you really can take your work home with you and it can take over your whole life. And, um, you know, you have to take back some time for yourself, for sure. And so writing is one way to do that. No, absolutely. And it's, and it's such a, a therapeutic um, thing too. Like, I think it was on Instagram because I 
talking about like people on the podcast slash other quotes, I, I post these things to Instagram and, um, and I think I had posted a quote from Dolly Parton saying about when she writes and she writes a song every single day. And she said that it's just, it's a way for her to process what she's feeling and what she's thinking at the time. And I, I think that, that is exactly what writing is for people who write novels. I mean, at least for me, I mean, I guess I can't speak for everybody, but it's, it's about processing, you know, things that that have gone on in your life or things that are going on in your life and, and, you know, just, just exploring them. I mean, even, even as you say, even if it's not something that necessarily directly affects you, like it could be seeing the treatment of veterans and, and how they, you know, aren't, properly acclimatized back into society after serving in war like that could just be something that you've thought of and you processing that could be making this story right I think it's a way to to deal with things I know um my father was a Vietnam War um veteran he he was stationed in the Philippines during the Vietnam War but um he you know he always struggled I think a little bit with coming back to to civilian life and so I didn't really realize it until probably, I don't know, close to the end. I kind of realized that maybe he had influenced that a bit, you know, um, his struggle with, you know, dealing with the world after being in the military. And I don't know, I just, I've always found, um, found that a very compelling topic and, you know, one that I really wanted to explore, um, you know, and so it was, it was great to be able to do that. Yeah, no, that's right. And, and it's, yeah, about finding that stuff that means something to you um, and, and exploring it, because I guess that's sort of a cliched, but very important piece of advice that, you know, you've got to find what's important to you. Cause if it's important to you, it's probably important to a whole group of other people. <laughs> right. It, it definitely is. I think um, I, you know, I did a lot of research into to uh, veterans coming back, and there's a there's a, a journalist, a, a war correspondent named Sebastian Younger, and he has a couple of TED talks about why soldiers have trouble adjusting to to life, you know, after the military, and and that was just pivotal, also in in helping me come up with the relationship between Hal and Ty, and 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 what being a veteran means to them. And, you know, I, I, it, you know, and then it, I kind of started thinking about, you know, my personal experience with my dad and, and, you know, watching a veteran kind of struggle with that kind of thing. And so I, I, I don't know, it was a really, it was a really important topic to me. And I did hope, you know, like you say that somebody will, will maybe um, that will resonate with someone I hope. Yeah. And I'm sure it has. (laughs) I mean, I mean, as I said, I enjoyed the story too, and I got a lot out of it. So, I mean, if for nothing else, you've, you've resonated with me. Um, the, I was going to say something now and I've forgotten what it was. It was about, oh, about, um, research. So I think that's an important thing too, that even though obviously this is not a, a real story it's a science fiction sort of space opera kind of story um right. you've still gone out to research to make sure that that connection that human connection that you're looking at even though it is something that you have witnessed personally you you've gone out to do some research to make sure that that 
connection feels authentic. Um, do you, do you think that that's important for every single book that you write or was it just that you thought, I want to know more about this? Um, I, you know, I think it started out as I want to know more about this and I want to represent, um, what they went through. You know, I want to be authentic about that as authentic as possible without being a veteran myself. So I'm, you know, cause I'm not. And so I, I really, I don't know. I really got into, got, got into wanting to make sure I did the, did the story justice, you know? Um, so I, but I don't know, I guess it depends on what you're writing about. If, if I was writing about the troubles of a high school English teacher, I would probably not need to do quite so much research. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Not really much. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, you know, anytime, I guess you put yourself in, in a totally different sphere, you, you know, to write authentically, you definitely do need to do some research. And I, I find research fun. So I, you know, coming from my background, I've done a lot of it. And, uh, and so it was very, very, um, very much a part of, of trying to create that relationship between t- these two veterans who had served together. Yeah. And, and I think research obviously is important if you feel like you don't know enough about a topic. And I think um, in this day and age, I, I feel like there's really no excuse for not doing it. Um, like yes. you can go, you don't even have to contact people or talk to people. You can go onto people's channels on YouTube. You can go to podcasts. You can go to all sorts of places to find out um, more information on pretty much any topic that you can possibly think of. So I, I feel like research can be fun. Absolutely. But I think it is so much easier than it was, say, if you were trying to write a book back in the eighties. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You'd have to go to the library. <laughs> Use some microfiche or something yeah. um, <laughs> back in the old days. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I tell anybody you can't ever go wrong by learning more. I mean, we, you know, with my husband being a military historian, we watch a lot of things about, you know, past wars and in different time periods. And so, you know, I, I guess I'd already had a course in that, <laughs> but, um, but I really want to get the heart of, of what, what the soldiers go through. And I think that, that, that's the kind of research that, that really helped me. And then, and then portraying a military, a military that doesn't exist, you know, you need to kind of look at what, what has come before so that you can plan yours the way, you know, in a believable way. And so, you know, my husband really helped with that too. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's really great because you, you do need to factor in like, I think um, it was a previous episode where RK Gold and I were talking about um, the new Star Wars series and, and we were talking about mm-hmm. how, you know, the, the first order in that was just this, thing that just happened to be there and like there was no deeper thought into like but how did they come to be and why are they you know in control what do they want like a lot of the (laughs) the deeper questions weren't being asked here and so I think it is important to do that research and I think it's interesting talking about research like I think it's it's important I think to go into research with an open mind too because that could be a way to find an even more interesting story that, you know, you could think, you know, everything about a topic, but if you go in with an open mind, you could come out completely changed. 
That's so true. That's so true. I mean, and I mean, right there, right there, if you come out completely changed, there's your character arc. <laughs> right, right. I mean, you have to be open to whatever, you know, whatever. You have to be open to everything when you're a writer. I don't know. Like, if I had not decided to let Hal be the main character of this story, I think um, it would have been a much different story and probably not nearly as good. I mean, you have to be intuitive, I guess, and, and you know, listen to, like, have an open mind about, what's working and what's not. And, you know, when I realized that I had to come up with a whole military, I knew I did not have everything I needed. So I definitely had to go do some research for that. Yeah. And, and I think it, it's also, it doesn't even have to be about topics as much as it can be. One thing I, I like to look at is examining human behavior, which, which makes me sound so pretentious when I say it like that, but you, you kind of know <laughs> no. what I mean. Um, yes. <laughs> but it is, it is doing, like, I find looking at people who I don't agree with on whatever topic uh, and just asking, you know, why, why do those people think the way that they do? And that has helped so much with, with writing characters that aren't one-dimensional villain types and and that's important too that acknowledging that you know people can do bad things and believe bad things but still to the people around them be seen as good people and that creates an interesting dynamic in in writing characters that that makes them feel a little bit more human and i think um i think characters are the heart of of any story i you know you have to I think I wrote this in one of my blog posts, but you, you know, people, you know, come for the, the characters and, you know, then they, 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 they experience the plot. But if, if we don't care about the characters, that's not, you know, that, that's, the plot doesn't really matter too much. You know, Um, I've always written where I've been very character focused and, and, and to me, the interactions between characters, why they do what they do and, you know, their, their motivations and, reasons for certain behaviors and it has been very interesting to me so um yeah I like to I, I like to write a character driven story I think that's but then the Russia's Edge has a lot of action in it as well because you know you have to keep things interesting yeah but I, <laughs> I mean I think you kind of have to keep like yeah you got to have that action but if you hadn't laid the groundwork and had characters that we were interested in that action wouldn't have meant anything to the audience yeah so I think I mean, it still how, comes back to character it does I think you're right it does I mean I, I won't if I don't get a connection with that character I, I probably won't finish the book you know and and you've got to do that quickly when you're trying to catch the eye of agents and things but um you've got to do it well you know that's that's the really important part and, yeah, and I, probably the hardest yeah. part too <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was difficult. Um, you know, once you, if you do a lot, and any starting writer should do a lot of research on how to pitch your book to an agent. And I'm not by any means am I the, 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 the best one at this, but I realized pretty quickly that, you know, it's how those first pages start that, that will hook your reader or hook your agent or get you, you know, the notice that you need. You could have the greatest story in the world, but if the first, 30 pages are crap, you know, it's not going to, you know, you're not going to go very far. And uh, so I I knew I had great characters and I just had to have that show, you know, in the beginning, but um, 
yeah, I don't know. I've just always been very, very interested in in characters and in plot too, but but the characters have to grab me, you know. And I, for me, that's that's very important. And so I guess I kind of put that in my work as well. But. Yeah, and I think I think I'd agree with that um, for the most part because, like, to me, characters and plot are equally important, but to me, they they're kind of linked. So like plot is an extension Mm -hmm. of character. So I think I still would say that character is the most important thing because that's, that's the reason why so many books that focus on plot that have dull characters are not worth reading. So it it does come back to the fact that character is key. I think so too. I really do. Um, But, you know, like I said, I'm definitely for all for action and I tried to make, the rush's edge kind of something is happening all the time um but you know i just but but it was the really the characters that 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 made it the most fun for me to write and made the story worthwhile to read um and i'm that way with everything if if the characters don't grab me i'm not i'm not interested usually yeah no and that's fair enough um yeah. i think that might be a perfect place to leave that off now um so just before we go where can people find you if they had any more questions about the rush's edge oh that'd be great um i'm on twitter twitter is my main um my main connection i guess um you know like i think dan said something on his podcast about instagram and not really getting it and i think i'm kind of in that boat as well but um, I've been forcing is, myself to get it and I still feel like, you know, a 90 year old who doesn't understand technology. So <laughs> me too. I've tried to, I'm trying to do Instagram. So maybe that one day, but right now Twitter um, at G Smith author is my Twitter page. And then my website is ginger Smith author.com. Hope you enjoyed this episode of The Right Direction. If you want to see conversations like this and so many more, please check out the podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and everywhere good podcasts are kept. That's Right Direction, W-R-I-T-E. And now that you've been given the right direction, you can go off and write.